So uh, if you have some questions, you want to raise your hand, to you get excited, please, you know, let's, uh, let's just enjoy this day. The speakers that they have lined up are absolutely amazing. You're going to have a, a really entertaining time, and as I said, a good educational time. So what I wanted to do is run through a quick presentation on Marvel. Um, but what I'd like to do first is I always like to poll the audience. So everybody here is a Marvel fan, right? Yes. All right. So I want to see where people first fell in love with Marvel. So how many people here whose first exposure was through Marvel Comics? Okay, a good number of you. That's great. Now, how many people, and I'm sure this might be a bigger number, how many people here's first exposure to Marvel was through one of the Marvel movies? Yep, obviously a little bit more. Now, anyone here was their first Marvel uh, property, something maybe animated, one of the animated series? All right, yeah, a couple folks. X-Men, I'm assuming. X-Men, yeah, of course. X-Men was so big globally for us. Now, how about video games? Anyone the first one was a video game? Okay, so a couple folks. See, that's what's the beauty of Marvel, is that it started as a comic book company, but it's grown in so many different ways to encompass all forms of entertainment. It's almost on its way to becoming what we call a lifestyle brand. So what I want to do today is just run you through a little bit of where Marvel got its start. But first, just like we talked about, Marvel is represented in so many different lines of business in so many different ways. I thought I'd give you a little introduction to how big Marvel has grown. So I'm going to show you a little video to start. The power of Marvel. business. 
and you see big numbers up there, you know, highest grossing box office, 4.4 million gamers a day, you know, 8,000 plus characters, but the truth of the matter is that we wouldn't be here, all that content wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. If it wasn't for everyone in the audience that really goes out there, not only, you know, watches it, but, you know, goes out and supports Marvel on social media and everything you do. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, because I wouldn't be here if you weren't here. So today we are here to talk about the future. We are here to look for new artists and inspire you creatively to see what you can bring to us at Marvel. However, in looking at the future, it's always important to start looking a little bit at the past. So I wanted to talk a little bit about where Marvel came from. Because some of you were here last year and might have seen this, but many of you might not know just how deep and how far Marvel's history runs. Who knows how old Marvel as a company is? Anyone? Yeses? 70. 50 years? Anyone else? 70. 77, close. This year will be our 79th year. So uh, Marvel started in 1939. So, and it all started with the comics. This was the first Marvel comic ever published. It was actually Marvel Comics number one. Marvel Comics was not the name of the company. Marvel Comics was the name of the magazine. So the name of the com company back then was Timely Comics run by the same publisher, uh, Martin Goodman, but Marvel Comics was the name of a magazine that really took off. And this was the first, technically, the first Marvel superhero was the Human Torch. Uh, the heroes that appeared in this issue were the Human Torch, Kazar, Namor, uh, and the Masked Rider, I'm oh, sorry, the Angel, and the Masked Rider. Now, aside from the Masked Rider, all four of those characters are still in existence in the Marvel Universe. And the thing that's so impressive is that someone recently uh, figured it all out, that Marvel, the Marvel Universe, it's the longest continuing fictional narrative in history. So the characters that they viewed in this issue in 1939 are still in existence today and being used readily in current continuity in the comics tales we tell. So that's pretty amazing. In the 40s was when Captain America was published. Uh, you know, if Captain America, uh, Joe Simon, and Jack Kirby, it was uh, a direct uh, statement on the event, world history, on the events of World War II, where they, feed, they felt that readers needed an icon to help, uh, you know, entertain them uh, and, you know, address issues, real-world issues uh, in going on in the world at that point, in World War II. And that's something that's always been a part of Marvel. Marvel is the real world. You know, all our stories take place in New York City. The current president is the president of the United States. Actors and actresses make an appearance. Yes, we have fictional places like Wakanda and Latveria, but for the most part, unlike Gotham or Metropolis, Batman and Superman, the Marvel Universe is the real universe. Uh, so it ha we always reflect real-world events, but with a he healthy dose of, dose of escapism. And then, in 1962 is when really things kicked off for Marvel in terms of superheroes. Uh, there was a little hero that came out called Spider-Man. So the year before this was the first issue, 1961 was the first issue of Fantastic Four. And that's where the superhero genre kind of really started. And the Fantastic Four was getting very, very popular. So Martin Goodman asked a young writer at that point, a gentleman by the name of Stan Lee, who I think you all might know, uh, to come up with more superheroes. So Stan came up with this idea for Spider-Man. And there's a famous story that Stan tells about, and he was trying to come up with characters in a, with different powers, and he was looking at insects and saw a fly on the wall, and he said, oh, fly man wouldn't be a good idea, mosquito man is not a very good name, but Spider-Man, that sounds cool. 
But when he went in to pitch the idea to Martin, well, with you know, uh, the artist Steve Ditko, he hated the idea. He goes, bugs aren't heroes. Bugs are made to be squashed. They're pests. They're insects. And he wasn't going to publish Spider-Man. But Stan put his job on the line and said, I believe in this idea so much about this teenage hero, Peter Parker, about this kid who gets superpowers, that I'm willing to put my job, my paycheck on it. He's like, please publish it. If it's a fa failure, you can fire me. Use my paycheck to pay for the printing costs. Uh, and Martin said, you know what, I'll take you up on that bet. So instead of publishing a comic, he put Spider-Man as a backup story uh, in Amazing Fantasy number 15. And the issue came out to huge acclaim, and the rest, as they say, is history. And from there is how the Marvel Universe grew. Uh, after that, we had the birth of the Avengers, which was almost by mistake. Uh, there were some deadline problems, and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby said, what can we do to get another comic book out? And then Stan said, why don't we just take all the heroes who were in existence and put together on one team? And Jack said, I could draw that pretty quickly. And that was kind of the birth of the Avengers. It was really not as planned as people think it was. So after all this, you know, what seems sometimes almost by complete chance, Marvel has grown into the enormous company that it now is. So 1939, as I said, Marvel, Marvel Comics number one. 1961, Fantastic Four, as I spoke about, the age of Marvel Comics begins. In the 1970s is when Marvel really started taking off. Rolling Stone magazine published an article about how cool Marvel Comics were. And this went right to all the readers at different universities around the United States. And that's when Marvel went from being kind of a niche market for superhero comics that were, you know, targeted more for younger kids to being accepted for more older audiences. And then Marvel, this is when Marvel started growing beyond just comic books. In the 80s, Marvel further branches into television and animation. So anyone remember any of these shows? Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, That's Bill Fantastic Four. Four Show. Most people remember uh, Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, and the uh, Incredible Hulk live-action show. And then there was a short-lived live-action Spider-Man show. And you look at some of that and you think, man, how far we have come. <laughs> In the 90s is when comics really became a boom. X-Men number one, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, still the highest selling English language superhero comic book ever with 8 million copies. Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane was after that at about 6 million copies. And this is when comics really started taking off. The problem was that comics weren't being collected to read anymore. Comics were being collected to collect. It became almost like the stock market. It was that old adage of, man, those comics in your basement can be worth a lot of money. You can buy a car, you can send your kids to college, and the prices of comics started skyrocketing. So people were buying 10, 15 copies of each comic, thinking they could save them, put them away, and in the future, you know, have a great retirement almost if they sell these comics because the value is going to keep escalating. But just like any false bubble you create, there was plenty of comics out there but nobody reading. The industry collapsed on itself. The bubble burst. So in the late 80s, early 90s, Marvel went bankrupt. That's what we call Chapter 11 uh, in the States. So the company that had all these great heroes, all these great properties, from Spider-Man to X-Men, Fantastic Four, Avengers, was on the verge of losing everything. We almost lost everything. But then some new owners came in. Uh, I think you all might know the name Joe Casada, was hired on as editor-in-chief. And they started rebuilding Marvel. He started rebuilding Marvel from the ground up and said, 
We don't worry about the covers. We're not going to worry about selling comics. We want to go back to basics of what Stan and the artists he worked with who created the Marvel Universe did, is just tell great stories again. Great characters and great creators equals great content. And that's uh, the equation that we use to this day. It's almost like the movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. If you build it, they will come. If we tell good stories, if we tell the stories that we know the fans are going to want to read, this is the, uh, that's, people are going to come, they're going to read, and comics are going to sell. And it's proven true. From there, almost at the same time, Marvel started licensing out our movies to other companies. Our friends at Sony started producing the Spider-Man movies. Our friends at Fox started producing the X-Men and the Fantastic Four movies. All which went on to become enormous billion-dollar franchises. And at this point, Marvel said, wow, we have all these great characters in our library. Why are we paying someone else to produce our movies? Why don't we do it ourselves? And that's when Marvel Studios was born. So in 2008, Marvel released our first movie, Iron Man. Everyone here seen Iron Man, I assume? Yes. Yes. The thing you might not remember about Iron Man was, back then, when we announced Iron Man was going to be our first movie, people thought we were crazy. Iron Man was what we would call not a B-level character. He was even a C-level character at that point. A lot of people thought we had licensed away all the good Marvel characters with the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, but we knew we had hidden gems. And again, right character, Iron Man, right creators, in this case, Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, the director, John Favreau, producer Kevin Feige, that, those creators, that talent, created great content. So we proved the critics wrong. We took what many people thought was a flop of a character, and by telling a good story with a great actor, with a fantastic plot, and going back to basics of what Marvel was, we tell them how, what it is like to be a superhero. It was an amazing film and put Marvel on the map. And after that, things just kind of rolled along. Then there was a little company called Disney <laughs> that uh, had an interest in Marvel. So in 2009, Marvel was honored to, to join the Walt Disney family. And we've been a part of the Walt Disney family ever since, and they've helped us grow by leaps and bounds globally. And in 2012, the Avengers came out. It was the culmination of phase one of what Marvel movies were. Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk. Just like the comic book universe, where there's these interconnected storylines, Kevin Feige had the idea to connect all the movies. This is where the after credit sequences came from. And then he put, combined all the characters together into, at that point, what was the biggest movie release of all time. Now, how many people know how many Marvel movies, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, have been released in total? You can shout it out if you know. 13? Nope, it's higher. 17? 17, right. We're not at 20 yet. We're going to get there soon. <laughs> so we've released 17 movies today. Our last movie, Thor Ragnarok, a couple months ago. Did you guys enjoy it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? Uh, just another. Marvel's always pushing the boundaries with their uh, the movies. You know, everyone says, oh, they're superhero movies. But Marvel movies in many ways are not. You know, everyone has a different genre. Captain America Winter Soldier was kind of a Bondi spy thriller. Ant-Man was almost a romantic comedy. Guardians of the Galaxy was sci-fi. 
And here we had Thor Ragnarok, which was such a funny movie, more comedic than any movie that Marvel's put out to date. And with Black Panther, as you see, we're going to continue pushing the boundaries of different genres within the superhero world. Like I said, we've had 17 movies today. Started with Iron Man. This slide's a little outdated. Had Guardians of the Galaxy 2 there, but since then, we've had uh, Thor Ragnarok. And as you saw the trailers, next up will be Black Panther in February, and then Avengers: Infinity War, the one that everybody's been waiting for, in April. I always have trouble with this slide. It always gets stuck for a minute. So give me one sec. There we go. So, oh, hold on. Go back one. Alright. So there's the release schedule as you might know. This takes us through phase, the end of phase three, as we're calling it. Uh, so we're going to have Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, you've all seen. This year we have Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, later in the summer, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is turning into be an incredible picture. Funny story, I was in Cambodia over the holidays. I got seated at Christmas Eve dinner. And at the table next to us was Michael Douglas. <laughs> I couldn't work up the nerve to talk to him. <laughs> and then next year, 2019, our first female-led superhero franchise, Captain Marvel, will kick off. And then to end phase three, Avengers Untitled. So we can't give you the title just yet, and please don't ask because I won't tell you, because uh, you have to see Avengers Infinity War first. So, you have all these beloved characters that have gone from comics to film. Uh, and as I said earlier, there really is one man who kicked it all off with his co-creators. Be it Jack Kirby, John Romita, Steve Ditko, Wally Wood. Stan Lee is the mind behind so many of these wonderful creations. He's a figurehead of Marvel Entertainment and a pop culture icon. He's a co-creator of characters. Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and so many more. Stan just turned 95 on December 25th. He is still actively creating, actively writing, actively a part of so much of what we do. And he's noted for the introduction of superheroes living in a shared universe, like we talked about, which is something else that's crossed from the comics to the movies. The other thing that a lot of people don't know is, in many ways, Stan Lee could almost be considered the godfather of social media. Uh, Stan was the first one who really brought comics fans and the comics community together in creating Stan's Soapbox uh, and Bullpen Bulletins and some of the fan clubs where he would pull the curtain back and speak directly to the fans about not just the stories but about the creators, about what went into creating the comics. And that one was something that was groundbreaking at that time. You weren't just reading the stories, you were reading the stories behind the stories. You were getting to know the people who were creating them. And that really led to the rabid fan base that we as Marvel have now. I remember as a kid being enthralled by these. These letters were actually speaking to me. I wanted to be a part of this. I wanted to be a part of Marvel. I wanted to be one of these guys that Stan Lee talked about in one of his bullpen bulletins one time. And this has gone on to be so important. And why Marvel continues to have such an amazing presence on all our social media channels, be it Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. And now Marvel is also the company that has been so reflective of diversity. Black Panther, really the first African-American superhero. Uh, Luke Cage as well. Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan recently uh, introduced. Our first uh, female Muslim superhero. 
Marvel is reflective of the world outside your window that we say. You know, we want anyone who, no matter where they live in the world, to pick up a comic book and have a hero that they can relate to, no matter where they're from, what the color of their skin is, what their religion is, what their sexuality is. At Marvel, there's something for everybody. And Marvel fans are families and non-families. We always say that Marvel's from cradle to the grave. It's not just for kids, it's not just for teenagers, it's not just for adults, it's for everybody. What thrills me is when now I see grandparents taking their grandkids to see the Marvel movies, and they're all enjoying it just as much. That's what we the, love, that's what's so awesome about Marvel. Everybody knows the characters, and it's something, a love that families can share. I know this is a fancy way of saying, today Marvel has multifaceted consumer touch points across distinct and integrated platforms. Means we make a hell of a lot of products. <laughs> we have studios. These are the nine, uh, sorry, yeah, the nine divisions, or yeah, eight divisions of Marvel. We have Marvel Studios, Marvel Television, Marvel Publishing, and DPW is Disney Publishing. Games, consumer products, promotions, digital media, themed entertainment, and music. So no matter what you're here studying, no matter what your major is, no matter how you want, what you do creatively, there could be a home for you at Marvel in one of these places. But, as they said, you know, I recently became the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, so comics is still the heart of what Marvel does. It's where so many of the ideas are born uh, and are spread out into the different lines of business. We always like to say that Marvel's like a body. The movies, is the, the studios are our face. It's what people see first, it's kind of what they interact with most. The arms are like our uh, TV division and our animation or games division. You know, they help the body along. Consumer products and new media are the legs because that's really what carries Marvel along. But at the heart, it's Marvel Comics that keeps the blood pumping through our system. And then here you can just see how it's the comics that have really led into so much of our other new media entertainment. Civil War the movie, or Civil War the comic from 10 years ago, directly led to the Civil War movie by the Russo brothers, Guardians of the Galaxy, the comic, into the film, Next Left Black Panther, even on the small screen, Inhumans, Jessica Jones, on ABC and on Netflix. We have all these great comics that have led to so many, so many different properties on the different size screens. And there's much more to come. Now, what I wanted to do was just talk a little bit about the creation of Marvel Comics, because some of you might not know how a comic book is made. Laniel and Harvey are going to get a little more into this later in the day, but at Marvel, we think Marvel is epic storytelling with a human spirit, and that's what's really important for us. It's, everyone always says Marvel's about superheroes, but for us, the superhero comes second. It's first and foremost about the human, the hero. Then it's about the superhero or the superhuman. When we create a story, we don't start by saying we want to tell a Spider-Man story, or we want to tell an Iron Man story, or we want to tell a Captain America story. We start behind that. We start by saying we want to tell a story about Peter Parker. We want to tell a story about Tony Stark. We want to tell a story about Steve Rogers. So it starts with the human side first. And then, after we have a good story that brings out the spirit and heroism that we think is appropriate, that's when we put on the mask and we figure out who the villain is, where the setting is going to be, or who they're going to fight. So Marvel is first and foremost about the human side of our superheroes. Now, a lot of you might not know, like I said, how a comic is made, so I just wanted to walk you through it quickly. And um, this is what we call the first step. So when, in a, in, when you make a comic, there's really six people involved. There's the writer, there's the inker, 
there's the, uh, sorry, there's the penciler, the inker, the colorist, the letterer, and the editor. And those are the six key people that make one comic. So it's not just one person sitting in their basement doing everything. It's six different people in constant communication, page by page, that create a comic book. So first, uh, an artist like Laniela Harvey will be hired. They'll take the script that the writer turns in, and they'll create what's called a layout. And it's a very simple guide, so the editor knows what the page layouts are going to be. It's almost, you know, quick, you know, dots for eyes. Sometimes it's almost stick figures, depending on the artist. But I wanted to show a little bit more detailed layout, where this crow comes down, delivers a letter to Peter Parker. Peter Parker swings into action, and then he goes and visits Doctor Strange's house, the Sanctum Sanctorum. And if you saw the script, you would know that. It's hard to tell from this, but once the penciler, once the editor approves this, the penciler goes in and puts in a lot more detail. So then you can see the difference between what a layout, the layouts look like and what the actual pencils look like. And it's up to the artist at this point, in talking to the writer, to add little details. For example, this script took place during the winter. But you can't see it here in the layouts, but if you notice here, you'll notice when I show you the colors, Spider-Man is wearing a hat and scarf. So after the pencils are approved, you can see all the detail that goes into something like that. And now look, every single window, every single brick, everything gets drawn. And an artist is asked to do one page of this detail every day. So that's the normal pace for a comic book penciler, is one, one day, one page. Next, it's given to the inker. The inker goes in and puts a black line over it. So it's very, pencils tend to be very light, and it's hard to color over pencils. So we hire a person that's called an inker, who goes in and puts a black line over everything, enhancing some of the details, adding in shadows, adding in blacks, adding in, as you can see, the color of the hair, and almost becomes a guide for the colors. And then now, 99% of all coloring is done on computer and Photoshop. Next, a digital colorist will go in, and they'll add in the colors. And then you can see here a better look at the hat and scarf. So I'll just walk you through a couple other pages that I thought were pretty interesting. And again, this is for Amazing Spider-Man 795. You can see where the word balloons go in. There you can see Spider-Man had his hat on, takes it off, meets uh, Loki, there's a reaction, and then the action continues from there. Again, look at the detail on these pencils. It's just amazing the difference between what the layouts are and what the pencils are. And you can see, once the layout is approved, the artist sticks pretty closely to what's going on. There was a change here, though, in this one, I just want to show it, is that that second panel was taken out. So it goes right from the first panel where Spider-Man takes off his hat to the third panel here. So for some reason, the editor didn't feel that that beat was necessary, so just said, take that panel out, make a bigger panel where Spider-Man confronts Loki. And from there, it kind of stayed the same. Again, the inks, the detail that they put in the inker is it's just amazing. And again, for an inker, they're expected to do one page per day. Because once the penciler finishes the pencil, you send it to the editor, the editor approves it, it goes right to the inker. It's a constant process. And then the colors. And then you can see how colors are used in different ways. Here, Spider-Man is put more in blue to indicate that he's a little bit in the background, so the focus is on Zelma and Loki wearing the Doctor Strange cloak. And then this last page I wanted to show you is actually pretty interesting. So here's the layout. And you can see there's not a lot of detail. All it says at the third panel is urn. 
But the artist knew that, oh, they're in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, in Doctor Strange's home. So when he went in, he added all these amazing artifacts from his imagination, things that he thought Doctor Strange would have hanging in his house. So different swords, different artifacts, different jars, different magic items. So this is what a really the penciler does. The, art, the, the writer can only put so much in the script. I'm sorry. The writer can only put so much into the script, and sometimes there's very detailed plots and scripts, and sometimes there's not. But it's up to the artist's imagination, which someday you'll all find out firsthand if you want to become comic book pencilers, that's up to your imagination to add in this level of detail and add to the story. I always thought it was kind of funny here, too, is that the painting that Loki has hanging in the, the Sanctum Sanctorum now is of himself. So <laughs> it's a good nod not to lo note Loki's personality, too. He's so vain, he'd put a painting, painting of himself up. And here's the colors. So that's how a, a comic book, the interiors, get made. Now as for the covers, you guys all know who Alex Ross is? A very famous comic book painter. Well, this is kind of how Alex Ross uh, does his covers. And it's a very simple process. Uh, the process for uh, comic book covers is just like the uh, interiors. Starts with a sketch, usually goes to pencils, inks, and then colors. But with, a, with someone like Alex, Alex has been doing this for so long, he's such a master at what he does, that they trust Alex. Alex turns in a simple sketch, well I shouldn't say simple, a single sketch, uh, quite detailed as in, in pencil. It's usually approved, and then Alex still paints physically, not digitally. So he goes in and he adds all that level of detail in actual paints. And you can see there's not much difference between the two because he paints over the actual sketch, but he did slightly change some of the shadows in Spider-Man's eyes uh, for whatever reason that him and the editor decided to put, focus more on that black slit in the right-hand side of his eye. So that's the process for comic uh, covers as well. Um, I love Alex. I think everyone here might love Alex Ross if you're comic book fans. I just wanted to kind of show you what Alex, Alex's process really is. So, the future. So Marvel's been growing. And it's been growing at leaps and bounds, thanks to our friends at Disney on a global level, like I said. And for me, this picture I took last year in Shanghai in a mall. Uh, so I'm walking through this mall with my wife, and these three kids pop up. It's not Halloween, there was no convention, nothing like that. It's these kids love Marvel so much that they decided to dress as Spider-Man, Captain America, and Iron Man. Just day in their, in their daily wear, and their parents let them. And these are the future Marvel fans. This led to be like, wow, this is how far Marvel has come. However, this picture to me also highlighted a problem. If you look in the far back corner up there, <laughs> there's their little sister going, hey, what about me? <laughs> so, Earlier I told you that Marvel is supposed to be for everybody, and it really is. And a lot of people think that Marvel sometimes is just a boy's brand, but it's not. We have just as many female editors at Marvel who are creating content for female readers, and we really want to start grasping a different demographic. So this always, I keep this on my desktop because it reminds me, no matter how far we've come at Marvel, we still have quite a ways to go. And Marvel can keep growing, and it's with your help and your support, and you passing it down from your love of, the, of art and genre and of Marvel from one generation to the, the next, that we will help grow. 
So, that's my spiel. Was okay? Informative? Inspirational? Insightful, I hope? What I'd love to do is get some, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, we're going to take a couple questions, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just here to facilitate. It's all about CB, so if anybody, thank, that was super informative, thank you. Um, if anybody wants to think out loud, any questions, we have mics in the back. Feel free to just uh, head over there, ask CB anything. No spoilers, I can't tell you what's happening in Black Panther, or Infinity War, or any of the upcoming comics, but I'm happy to answer any other questions you might have. I'm going to ask you about Avengers Untitled later, though. Like in, in the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, someone's going up. Oh, all right. Oh, no. Taking a seat near the mic. <laughs> Anyone? Are you, all right, go. why don't we just, just raise your hand. Yeah, we don't have to use the mic. Speak loudly, I think, if you Hi, hi, my name's John. Oh, oh, okay, we're going to have to thanks, John. We'll yeah. go back to Okay, uh, well, first off, I just want to welcome you here. Thanks for coming to the Philippines. Thank you for having me. More than that, you know, um, I think I speak for everybody here. A lot of our uh, ideas about what's good, what's, what's evil, well, that comes from Marvel. And, uh, that really, well, you're, you guys are, are, you form what we uh, believe in. And we want to thank you for that. And uh, I, we got something for you that's a bunch of goodies from uh, where we're from, the Philippines, just dried mangoes and a whole bunch of goodies is just for you. Oh, thank and, you very uh, much. <laughs> thanks for that. And uh, my question is, see, a lot of us in this room, we want to do our part and help out. Yep. Well, we don't know how because, uh, I, I, forgive me for speaking bluntly, but here in the Philippines, uh, there's a lot of things uh, that we can help you out with. We know some very influential families and politicians, you know. We can go a, a long way, and I think you're at the right place in this room. A lot of us can help out, but we don't know how. How do we do it? Yeah. How do we reach out? Uh, that's it. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, John. I appreciate it, and I will gladly accept those goodies later. I've been enjoying the amazing Filipino food over the last couple of days here. Started at Jollibee. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, we always say at Marvel that, you know, we're a completely democratic company. A good idea is a good idea no matter where it comes from. And we could always use the help of fans to not only spread the love of Marvel online, but also make introductions, like you say, and, um, you know, help us out in different ways to help promote the brand, uh, be it on a business level or be it on a promotional level or a marketing level. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get in touch with Marvel, but since I'm here and I always make this very public, uh, if there's an editor you like or a specific character you like, you can always go on Twitter. All our editors are encouraged to be very active on Twitter, so you're always welcome to send them either a, a tweet or a direct message. Um, however, for me, I always make myself fully available. You know, as the, the new editor-in-chief, I have become kind of the public face of Marvel. That would be part of my role. Uh, and I'm here to facilitate anything that people might need. So my email address, all Marvel email addresses, are just first initial, last name, at marvel.com. Very simple. So for me, csabolski at marvel.com. I have an open inbox. If anyone here is available to email me anytime, always put in the title, make it clear what the, uh, I literally get 400 emails every day when I wake up. So put very clearly in the title, you know, hey, idea about the Philippines, or you know, Filipino fan, or Marvel creative day out, follow up, something like that. 
And I'd love to listen to your suggestions, and we can go from there, and I can introduce you possibly to the right people who would be able to help you out, be it was a marketing thing, or a video game thing, or a studios thing. So thank you for your, uh, your willingness to do that. Uh, the man was going to be at, at uh, reception? Yeah. TB will pick it up? Oh, no, I'm happy to bring it on down after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was another question here, I think. Back in the 80s, DC was offered to Marvel? Yes. Like to buy it? Yes, uh, but uh, it was not agreed by Big Shooter back then. Uh -huh. And you more? I do not know anything really about that. You know, a lot of what happened in those days uh, is documented in books or online on blogs. You know, Marvel, the untold story is a fascinating read. Um, but unless there was a memo or something in those days, you don't know what's true and what's not. You know, there's a lot of hearsay in accounting, but I really can't comment on any of that because I don't have first-hand knowledge of, of any of that. You know, I fortunately had the honor of meeting Jim Shooter a couple times. He's a great guy, and uh, I love his run and what he did for Marvel. I'm walking in his footsteps as well as in the UIC, but in terms of what Marvel and DC did back in the day, I'm sorry, I don't have any knowledge of that. <laughs> I guess especially since it didn't push through. Yeah, so, I mean, exactly. yep. <laughs> we don't really know. Right, Spidey, did you have a question? Yeah, hi, hi, CB. Um, Peter, how are you? Um, I, I suggested everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks uh, for swinging in today. <laughs> Welcome to the movie, CB. Um, I just want to ask. Um, a lot of us fans have been wondering that we haven't been seeing X Men and the Fantastic Four a lot as much recently. So, um, I just want to ask if Marvel has good plans for both franchises sure. now. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I, um, I agree with you on the Fantastic Four part. You know, there hasn't been many Fantastic Four comics published in the last five years. X-Men, I would disagree on because there's been eight to ten X-Men comics every month continuously forever. Um, however, I, I, I believe I know what you're hinting at. There was the recently announced deal with Fox where you know, this will hopefully be acquired Fox. And on that, I can't comment. That's for powers, you know, higher than me to deal with. It's a business thing and not being more of the creative side. But um, there's a new FF book out called Marvel 2-in-1 by Chip Zdarsky and Jimmy Chung with uh, The Thing and The Human Torch, which is a great place to start. The Fantastic Four has always been back still in the Marvel Universe, even though we haven't published them, the characters have been around. But the new 2-in-1 uh, book is phenomenal. Um, X-Men, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff coming out later this year. Um, meeting with the X-Men editor in New York next week to start planning uh, a lot of different cool stuff. And then as for an actual Fantastic Four book, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, it's all about the right creators coming to us with the right pitch at the right time. And hopefully, you know, in the next, you know, couple of years, uh, we'll see a fantastic world we're back in its full glory. But at this point, I really can't say anything just yet. I'm just getting my feet wet in my new role. All right. Thank you, Stevie. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so nice. Anyone yes. else? Over here. You're, you're closer to Mike. Stop. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> so my question is if... What are your opinions on the anti-heroes in Marvel? You mean anti-heroes on the lines of Deadpool, yeah, Punisher? Yeah, I'm not sure if Deadpool, like, I'm, like, not sure to say this, but maybe Loki a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what are your opinions in them? And if you think that there is more for them in the Marvel Comics universe? Yeah, you know, there's definitely uh, more uh, space for more anti-heroes. Uh, Marvel's always been about the good and the bad, the black and the white, but it's never been set in stone. 
You know, there's always the gray in the Marvel Universe. Heroes become villains. Villains become heroes. Sometimes you never know where a character's allegiance is like. Just like heroes die and heroes come back. Heroes can be men and become women. Female heroes can become men. You know, it's a big soap opera. But the anti-hero is a huge part of what Marvel does. Uh, you know, it's been a huge part of our publishing line and also a huge part of our television line. And I think the Netflix shows speak uh, volumes to that. The new Punisher series, if you haven't seen it, is phenomenal. Daredevil is a hero that always walks the line. His conversations with Foggy and Karen Page are always what is good and what is evil. As a lawyer, is he doing the right thing, fighting justice, you know, or fighting vigilante as a vigilante at night? Loki's another great character, you know? Look at just not how he's portrayed in the comics, but also in the movies. Is he an enemy of Thor or is he a friend of Thor? Yes, they're brothers, but they constantly, Loki's gonna, he knows Loki's gonna stab him in the back somehow. We saw that in Ragnarok. You know, a tiger doesn't change his stripes, or does he? You know, those are the questions we love to ask. And I think that this year, in the Netflix shows, there's some great questions that are going to be asked coming up. Uh, Jessica Jones Season 2 is coming, which is going to be phenomenal. Daredevil Season 3 just started filming. Uh, the scripts are out of this world in terms of, you know, exploring more of the anti-hero side of what goes on in Hell's Kitchen. And then in the comics, well, we have some very cool new series coming up starting in the summer that you might be very happy reading. So, thank you for asking. Thank you, sir, Paul. Uh, last question. I'm gonna give you, you're a big CB. Uh, I'll, uh, oh, this guy's on the mic. Uh, all right, he's on the mic. All right, we'll do two, two quick ones. Two quick okay, two quick ones. Uh, I just want to ask a question, you know, as a fresh graduate from the school, yeah. I kind of want to know how you can become a part of the studio in Marvel. You know, as a layout artist, a storyboard. You know, that's a good question. I didn't address that. Yeah. Um, no Marvel artist works in Marvel. We don't have any artists on staff. Everyone is freelancers. So everybody works at home in their apartment, or they're part of a larger studio, or you know, they they rent an office and they they go to work. So uh, there is no way you don't have to move to New York. So Martin, in that regard, you're ahead of the. You graduated, you got an art degree, you can pick up a pencil, you can draw, you're on your way. Um, the way that you have to present to Marvel is really, it's, your art speaks for itself. You know, your art is your calling card. We don't know where some of our artists, we've never met them in person, we've never looked at their studio, we've never seen them, you know, in, in, face to face. We've met them on email, they've sent in their portfolios, the art speaks for itself. So the thing that you're gonna have to do is create a portfolio. And as a comic book pencil, if you want to do it, I just gave the example a little there, you have to create a portfolio of at least six pages that show uh, you, your ability as a sequential storyteller. That you can take the characters and move them from panel to panel and from page to page uh, in a, in, 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 with, a, with a great flow so a reader can follow it without word balloons. And when you're building your portfolio, I would recommend that you um, do two sequences. Do one three-page sequence of an action scene. Spider-Man or Wolverine or Captain America fighting a villain, something big, badass. Show how you do action, show how you do scale, show you how you tell a dynamic story. And the other one should be a small quiet scene, because Marvel is just not much about the human side as it is about anything else. So show a date scene with Peter Parker and Mary Jane talking to each other, or with Ant-Man and the Wasp having a quiet uh, adventure somewhere outside of the superhero costumes. And that's how I build your portfolio. Once you have that done, you have those six pages penciled, then you can send them to me. See Sapolsky at Marvel.com. And I'm happy to look at them, review them, and send them to the editors. The other thing I would recommend is being here in Manila or in the Philippines, I'm not sure where you live here, but 
who have these great resources at hand. Yeah. Lanil, Harvey, Stephen, and you know, there's so many artists working in the Philippines that can give you personal advice or maybe take you under their wing. Well, there are a couple studios here, Will Spakasha still runs a studio, that might be good for you to explore as an option as well. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, before we move on, as a matter of fact, let me just mention uh, everybody who would like to consult with CB or our uh, esteemed Filipino artists. We do have a consultation area. Uh, you just have to head, uh, head this way out back. You can show them your portfolio, maybe get some tips. If you want to bring it to the industry, that would be a great way to start as well. Okay, one last quick question. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, Norby from FlipGeeks.com. I'm um, just wondering if. Um, as the, as the EIC for Marvel Comics, what's your plan? What's your plan for the Marvel Comics for the next two years? What's my plan as the new EIC for Marvel Comics for two years? I really cannot answer that, unfortunately. Um, you know, I just got the job; and it was very sudden, and I really haven't talked about what my plan is yet. I'm still formulating it. I can tell you, though, the one thing I can say is really what I'm going to be focusing on. And I come from a background in talent. I was a talent scout and a talent manager for so long. My, the two words that I'm going to live by uh, for at least the, the extent of my EIC run is talent first. It's the talent that makes the book. Like I said, great, cre great characters, great creators, great content. Marvel has the great characters. My job as EIC is to work with our amazing editorial team to not only work with the great creators we already have, but find the next generation of great creators. And then that's where the great talent's going to come from. So talent first is kind of the motto that I've been using as to, to, to kind of start off my, my term as uh, editor-in-chief. So thank you for asking. All right, everybody, thank you. Uh, if you have any more questions, there are a bunch of other speakers coming up, and there is a consultation area in the back today, so thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, another